morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter as we continue in this series looking at victory and trials as Peter's writing to a church undergoing intense suffering but reminding them of victory in Christ, which is such a beautiful revisitation of the theme on a day of communion. We're going to be in 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4 and going through 10. I'm going to read it, and then I just ask that you join in prayer. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Please join me in prayer. Lord, your word is a treasure. And it is, as Jim said, awesome that we get to engage with it. So may it inspire in us a sense of awe as we consider your, your kindness, your goodness, your detail your faithfulness in giving us your word and reminding us of these things and laying out the calling that you have called us to. In this time, humble us, bring us to the cross, surrendered, submitted, decrease me, get rid of me. May these be your words. May we listen with ears opened by you, with hearts longing for you, Lord, use your word as a sword. Cut away what needs to be cut away. Make us look like Jesus. Mold us. Lead us in this, Lord. We want to offer you our best right now as we continue to worship. We want to offer you our everything. May this time be a sacrifice that is pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before we dive into verses 4 through 10, I want to do a quick recap for people who have missed, right? We're getting into school's ending, vacation. I want to make sure we're on the same page. And what we've talked about is these letters are, it's one letter. It's not disjointed thoughts. And so what we look at in chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, is impacted by what we've already looked at. And so back in, in chapter 1, verse 22, we saw, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. And then we went on and we looked at what Peter lays out as three direct results of having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. This personal, internal impact of this. You see a growing of earnesty of love for one another in a way that stretches us to our full potential. You see a transformation of behavior and character, right? Put away malice, put away slander, put away deceit and envy and hypocrisy. And then you see a craving of spiritual nourishment, like infants long for pure spiritual milk. And so in purifying ourselves by obedience to the truth, we see these personal, impactful results in our lives. 
And then what did we also look at in the last two weeks? At the core of all of this, verse 4 that we're going to start again with today, coming to him coming to Jesus. And we looked at how that word coming was not just, you know, drive through, hey, Jesus, here's three minutes, cool, I'm on my way. But, okay, I'm coming to you to remain. I'm coming to you to abide, to sit, to learn, to listen, to be with you. And that's got to be at the core of all of this. And so what we're going to look at today, because what I believe is from verse, from chapter 122 through 2-4, you kind of see the personal impact of this purification through obedience, of coming to Jesus and abiding in him. And now as we transition, you start to see these plurals. You yourselves are being built up into a, a house, right? And so now we start to see the corporate benefit and blessing of when the individual believers are coming to Jesus and abiding in him and obeying him and being transformed by him. And we see now what that looks like for us as a body. And so it's a beautiful building on all of these preceding ideas. And then you come to the passage that we read, 4 through 10. And I wanna, I'm want i going to read a little bit quicker this time. But now that we've gone through that recap, I want to just go back through those verses. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you've got this idea, this context of, okay, as I am being purified by obedience to the truth, now I, with my family members, we are being built up. And that is, don't miss this parallel detail in 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, you yourselves like living stones. Jesus went first. Jesus set the standard. The call on the Christian's life is, is simple. Be like Jesus. We are meant to be conformed to the person of Jesus. We are meant to resemble him. We are meant to love like him. We are meant to live like him. This is the first and foremost calling on the life of the believer. And I love this reminder that Peter uses with this parallel language in giving that to us. Because we ask ourselves questions like, okay, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better mother. Mother. I want to be a better sister, a brother, a friend. And these are great things that we should ask ourselves, right? But if my first question is, okay, how do I become a better husband and not, okay, how do I become more like Jesus? I've got the questions in the wrong answer or in the wrong order. Because as I become more like Jesus, as I resemble Jesus, the other stuff you'll start to see the change. You'll start to see the improvement. And so the first question, the first point that we've got to begin with in understanding 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10 is, as you come to him, the living stone, you yourselves like living stones, church, the burden on our heart needs to be to reflect Jesus. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 John 4.12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. As the individual believers purify their souls through obedience to the truth and are conformed in character to be more like Jesus, we see the church being built up like living stones together. And so the question, all right, Steve, you know my dad. You've met him. We've hung out at my house. You've spent 
12 total hours with my dad, 15 total hours, right? Probably fair. Joe, you've met my dad a couple times when he's been here. You've spent maybe two or three hours total with him over the years. Who would be able to tell you more about my dad, Steve or Joe? Steve. Who would be able to imitate my dad more, Steve or Joe? Steve. All right, now imagine my wife was in here and not with our sleeping daughter. Who would be able to tell you more about my dad, my wife or Steve? My wife, because she spent even more time with him than Steve has. She's watched him eat meals. She's watched him hang out with family. She's watched him play. She's watched him relax. She's watched him study the Bible. She's, she's listened to him pray. The person who would be able to best imitate my dad and tell you about my dad would be the person who has spent the most time with him. Believers, are we trying to resemble someone who we don't even know? Or we know about, but we don't know personally. We don't know intimately. We don't know that joy of fellowship. I mean, this is the greatest privilege we have is to know Christ. And so just keep this idea in mind that as we come to him to abide in him, the result of that is that we ourselves, like living stones, resemble Christ. And that is humbling. That is encouraging. That is a high call, but one I want to pursue, one I want our church to pursue. We had an elder overnight retreat this past week, and we got talking about sports movies, debating sports movies. And the movie Miracle came up. And I said, one of my all-time favorite lines from any movie ever is in the movie Miracle, when Herb Brooks lays out his goal of beating the Soviet team to win the gold medal at the Olympics. And the other guy lists out all the obstacles to that. He's like, you're, you're talking about the team that won gold, and he rattles off like eight straight games, right? He's like, pretty lofty goal, Herb. And Herb Brooks' response is, yeah. That's why I want to pursue it. Church, as we come to the living stone, may our goal, may our desire be to look like living stones ourselves. Because do we realize what... All right, scale of 0 to 10 of energy. 0 is check for a pulse. 10 is somebody give that man a sedative. What end of the spectrum am I most frequently on? Nine or 10. <laughs> Steve's like, somebody give him a sedative. But why? Why, 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 why do I use words like joy and privilege and excitement? I mean, you guys, you literally made me a shirt that says, I'm Sam and I'm excited. Why? Because I love this passage in 1 Peter 2. And if you've never listened to how God describes you and calls you in 1 Peter 2, listen to this again. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Verse 9, a royal priesthood. What? That's incredible. Let this verse be one of the first thoughts on your mind when you wake up. God has called me a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. Cool. And honestly, how many of you are thinking, what does that even mean? What, I mean, a, a priest, I thought that was an Old Testament thing. What are we talking about here? 
Great question, great observation. So let's look at this, this idea of recognizing. Because see, if we're to be like Jesus, then we have to know our identity as a holy royal priesthood. If you want to go through in depth, read Exodus 28, Leviticus 8, and then you've got 1 John 15, Titus 2, Psalms 132, 1 John 2, Galatians 1. But here is what you see in Scripture, shared characteristics between Old Testament priests and New Testament believers, that it's an elect privilege, Exodus 28 and John 15, that priests have been cleansed of sin, Leviticus 8, Titus 2, that priests are clothed, are garbed for service, Exodus 28 again, Psalm 132. That priests are anointed for service, Leviticus 8, 1 John 2. And that priests by God are prepared for service, Leviticus 8, Leviticus 9, Galatians 1, and 1 Timothy 3. So you see, as you study Scripture as a whole, starting with the Old Testament, working through, you see these beautiful parallels between the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament church that God calls us. But then really consider what the main privilege of a priest was. It was access to God. Look at Exodus 40, Leviticus 16, and Hebrews 9. Access to the Lord was for priests. And this was no small thing. This was not a trivial issue. This was a big deal. In fact, the Holy of Holies, God's seat among his people. That was only for the high priest who could enter once a year. This was a huge deal to the people needing this intermediary. And then what do we see in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection? Mark 15, 37 and 38, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Hebrews 10, 19-22, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You most likely couldn't walk before the mayor of Mansfield without an appointment ahead of time. You can go into the holy place before God on his throne when you choose because Jesus has washed us clean. Because Jesus has torn the curtain. Because we are a holy, royal priesthood. That's incredible. So see, it's not just important that we know, that we recognize, that we realize we are this holy, royal priesthood, and what that entails, that access that it gives us to Christ, that privilege. We can't just know it. We also have to think rightly about it. I talk a lot about war. I'm not going to apologize for that. The Bible talks a lot about the war we're in. We talk a lot about there are hard times in the Christian life. It's not always easy. The Bible talks about this. But there's a detail of the Christian life that we can never, ever overlook or ignore. And I want to tell you a story about a time when Adeline and I were in Pittsburgh. So she worked for the newspaper, biggest newspaper in the city. And so they were sponsors of every fancy event, every major team. So her office department constantly got really sweet tickets 
to awesome events that she and I as a newly married couple could have never afforded. And because they were a major sponsor, they were always the highest level of tickets. And so we got free tickets to this incredibly bougie, way beyond our price range, way out of our social circle, uh, like private auction, silent auction and dinner, right? And we pull up and I pull up into the valet line and the first car in the valet, valet line is a vintage Jaguar. The car right behind that is a beautiful brand new Porsche. Then there's Sam in a 95 Buick Century missing all of its hubcaps <laughs> with no air conditioning so the windows are rolled down and I'm sweating like a madman in August. And behind me is a Rolls Royce. And the look on everybody's faces, this homeless person is lost. And I get out of my car and the valet is like, I don't want to touch your key. Like, nobody wants to come near me, right? So they're like, dude, you are clearly out of your element here. And then I reach into my suit jacket pocket and I pull out the silver embossed ticket that is visibly very different from every other ticket. And it says, this is the highest level VIP ticket holder. And the demeanor of everyone changes. And the valets are now like elbowing each other to get to my keys. And I, I was like, hey, just make sure not to scratch it, right? <laughs> right, but I mean like the moment I pulled out that VIP ticket, they were like, oh, this is a guest of honor. This is someone important. This is, we need to treat him, right? Like now they're escorting me into the, they're like, uh, you, you know, lowly people who are waiting for the general admission, please make way. God not only calls us a royal priesthood, how else, through Peter's writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what does God say about this? For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Think about your wedding day. Ceremony's over, you've gotten married, you're walking into the reception, all eyes stop, the DJ makes everybody pay attention, and when you walked in where you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm here, please don't look at me. No, you walked in like, I am the guest of honor. I am celebrating with my loved ones. This is the best day of my life. This is what it means to be a royal priesthood. The honor is for those of us who believe. There's no shame in this. There is joy, deep, abiding joy. And it's not an arrogant honor. It's not a cocky honor. It's a God bestowed this upon me. I will be grateful and I will rejoice. John 1.12, but to all who did, not, or who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 35, the Hall of Faith chapter, the Hall of Fame chapter. Listen to these descriptions of these believers throughout time. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, the world was not worthy of them. 
I mean, that's how God describes these people who the world would look at and say, wait a minute, you're destitute, you're afflicted, you're mistreated, I'm not. And God says, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. One of the chapters that we read this past week as a follow-up to last Sunday's message was Hebrews 12, one of my favorite chapters. Hebrews 12, talking about the festal gathering that we come to, the city that cannot be shaken. Having an invitation to a celebratory feast of innumerable angels, dining with Jesus in the fellowship of God, does that sound like an honor or a shame? I mean, God, like, we woke up with this honor. Joe, if you were drowning, would you want me to, with the life raft, be like, well, look, I want to respect where you are, and I'm not very good at throwing the life raft. Maybe there's someone else who's better at it. So, oh, this is, you know, well, no, you want me to, right? Like, I'm like, hey, I have the honor of throwing you this life raft. I mean, the Christian life is honor. It's joy, it's vibrancy, it's, yeah, I was a sinner, I'm broken, I still continue to sin. How many times, and if you haven't heard me say it the thousand times before, hear me say it now, I am not perfect, your elders are not perfect, you are not perfect, we're not pretending that's what this means. But I can still walk around with a smile on my face, with joy in my heart, with abiding peace, with an abundance of peace, because I have the honor of being a son of God. This is your life, believer. This is, on the good days, on the hard days, that honor is there. That joy, that right, that priesthood is there. And it's a beautiful thing. So we have to ask ourselves, does my life reflect that I believe this to be an honor? Or does my life reflect that I believe this to be a non-essential, maybe obligatory task list. We say this all the time. Don't, don't pray because we told you to. Don't read scripture just so that I won't ask you about it. We do these things because it's a privilege to do them. It is a delight to do them. This is the honor of the believer. And then as we understand our identity, our calling, as we learn to think rightly about our calling, okay, so I have been called royal priesthood, now I'm thinking rightly that this is an honor, well, do we also recognize and own the responsibility of this calling? Because what does God go on to say in verse 9? He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Malachi 2.7, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Matthew 28.18-20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6, before any of us, what did we look at last week? The enemy's opinion versus God's opinion. 
a living stone described by men as rejected, but described as God by God as chosen and precious, a difference of opinion. Which one are we going to listen to? So before we start to listen to that opinion of the enemy who says, okay, that's great, you're a royal priesthood, but you're not sufficient to do this. You don't, like, you're not as comfortable public speaking. You're not as smooth and well-polished. You're not like, you're, save that part of the responsibility for the priesthood that's good at it. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, 5 through 6. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You want to know why I absolutely believe that you are sufficient to share the gospel, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you? Because God has made you sufficient. You are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That is the sufficiency the believer needs. Now, we train ourselves in this. We equip ourselves in this. We prepare. We get better at this. We prepare to make a defense. But the sufficiency is not our own in fulfilling our calling and owning the responsibility of the priesthood, a responsibility that is what? An honor. And so how do we minister this? It's the last part that he says. Right? It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. It's the gospel. Michael Wilder is a former, uh, former Mormon, and now he's a missionary to the Mormons. Got saved through scripture, and he has this beautiful description of this. He says, people can lose faith in whatever false system they believe in in a myriad of ways. But losing faith in a false system is not going to save them. The gospel is going to save them. It's not about winning arguments. It's not about dismantling their worldview and walking away feeling superior. It's not about poking holes in whatever they believe and saying, see, I was able to tear apart your argument. That's not what is going to save people. The gospel is is what we have been called to be ministers of, to proclaim. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Sam, I'm not a good speaker. Well, Paul says he wasn't a good speaker. You're in good company. I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. One of my favorite quotes about the gospel, uh, a guy was speaking on it. Because did you catch the note? Did you catch, did you catch how God described Jesus in 2 Peter 2 as well? He also says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Speaker one time said, the gospel will offend people. It will. It is not the Christian's job to add to the offense, nor it is the Christian's job to apologize for the offense. It is the Christian's job to proclaim the gospel. 
Michael Wilder again describes it as this. He says, let the word of God do the offending, but don't be the one that unnecessarily offends. So as we minister as a royal priesthood, we're not ministering from a place of I'm better than you. We're ministering from a place of, dude, I love you. I recognize that apart from Jesus, I'm dead in sin. I want you to experience the honor of this royal priesthood with me. We're approaching it with the heart of Christ, going all the way back to what? As you come to him, a living stone, you yourselves like living stones. We approach the world in our role as royal priesthood with the same heart that Jesus did. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, let all that you do be done in love. Colossians 4, 5, and 6, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 2 Timothy 2.25, talking about a man of God. And Paul says, a man of God, the teacher of God, must be able to correct his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. If an unbeliever, if you typed up everything you've ever said about unbelievers, if, if, if we typed up everything that I, the way I talk about unbelievers, the way I talk to unbelievers... And if I handed that transcript to the unbelieving world and they read it, would they see gentleness, graciousness, mercy? Would they see a desire for their repentance? So make no mistake, I will never apologize for the offense of the gospel. One of my favorite passages talking about the call that I feel God has placed on my life is in Acts 20 where Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the full counsel of God. Shame on me if I avoid the hard passages just because it makes people uncomfortable and feel like we've got to change and grow. But shame on me if I add to the offense of the gospel by being a jerk about it. I mean, if this is an honor, if I believe this to be an honor, am I really so selfish that I don't want to share that honor? What makes a great experience great? Is it going through it by yourself? Or is it better when you experience it with loved ones? When I go on vacation, I'm not like, hey, Adeline, have fun at home. I'm heading over to Scotland to go hiking the mountains. I'll send you a postcard. I'm like, let's do it together. That will be fun. Coworkers, let's be in heaven at that festal gathering of innumerable angels together. See, when I believe that being a royal priest of God is an honor, I want to share that honor with people. Because I want to resemble Jesus. So if you're weary, if you're beat down, if you're burdened, if you feel like you're not sufficient, remember 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. God has called you a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, a chosen people for his possession. And he describes it as something without shame, an honor. Let that excite you. Let this be a church of on that scale of zero to 10, people are like, all right, put a sedative in the whole water system. Right? I mean, this is, I can think of no greater joy than to be in the priesthood of God. Believers, that's you. Let's pursue this. 
So this week as we consider this and as we seek to continue to meditate on this, to stay in this, to abide in this, this week we're going to read Exodus 19, we're going to read 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, and we're going to read Hebrews 9 and 11. And look for these themes of these verses in 1 Peter in each of these chapters. And then as we're reading, let's just do self-reflection. Does my life indicate that I believe being a disciple of Jesus is an honor? Does my speech indicate that I believe this is an honor? Does my thought life indicate that this is an honor? Don't let it get you down. Don't let it beat you down. But just let's do self-reflection before the Lord, knowing, what's it saying, Corinthians, that he has made us sufficient. Going back to Galatians 2.20, why? Because it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then prayer ideas as we consider our calling to be a priesthood. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. Colossians 4. This week, let's pray for open doors to share the gospel. I mean, deliberately. Look down the row. Look at who's ever sitting next to you and say, hey, okay, I'm going to pray that you get an open door to share the gospel. And I want you to pray that I get an open door to share the gospel. Right? Let's proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. And then the connect as we seek to also be that family that knows one another, that loves one another. Reach out to somebody from CBC and say, hey, how you doing with this passage? Joe, dude, whatever Monday, Tuesday you had, it's Wednesday. I want to remind you that it is an honor to be in the priesthood. Have a great day, brother. Build one another up. Let's celebrate this together. Please join me in prayer. God. Thank you that for those who believe that we will not be put to shame. Thank you that we are insufficient on our own. I think of the prayer in your word where it says, don't give us more than what we need so that we don't become cocky and arrogant, thinking that we're fine without you. So thank you that we are insufficient apart from Jesus. That apart from abiding in the vine, we can do nothing. But thank you that for those of us who believe that we have been given the right to abide in the vine, the right to be a royal priesthood, to be a chosen people. Thank you for this honor. May we walk in it. May we proclaim your excellencies every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pastor Sam here. Thanks for joining us for a Sunday sermon. If you're interested in more of the sermons from this series or some of our past sermon series that we've done, you can find them at discovercommunity.org under the sermon file. Uh, otherwise, you can subscribe to this channel to make sure you stay up to date on all our content. Thanks for joining us.